Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We are now delighted to be joined by Ivan Maisel, one of the great college football writers. Uh, Ivan now, uh, a new venture called On3.com. I think I've known Ivan since the late 80s, early 90s. I think you were back at the, uh, perhaps the Dallas Morning News at the time. Is that is that right? Is that where you started? Yeah, my first season covering college football was 87, and that, you know, was obviously a big year for the Canes, and and so uh, I ran into you and Sonny more than once. <laughs> Those were great days, glory days, not only for college football and the University of Miami, but I also think for us in the media, which I want to get to with you in a moment to kind of look back at some of those uh, great teams and great days and, and what it was like back in the 80s and 90s. But let's start here. We are approaching the college football season, less than 100 days now, and you have a new uh, venture that's going to be starting. Tell us a little bit about On3.com. Well, we're, what we hope to do and intend to do, Joe, is to cover not only the, the sport, with experienced, uh, competent, uh, entertaining journalists, but also the capture the spectacle. I mean, you know, what? Why do we love? Why are people so passionate about college sports in general and football in particular? Because they feel connected to the team, to that school, for whatever reason. I, it reaches right into uh, people's hearts. And that's what has always attracted me to the sport. And I think uh, because we're going to be college-oriented and not be covering everything else, uh, we'll be able to devote our full resources and, and attention to just that. What do you think about where we are today, in particular in college football, entering this landscape of a free-for-all with transfers, the NIL, all the different things that are going on in college football today. What is your perspective? It's uh, it's going to be stunning, whatever it is, however these changes manifest themselves. And I think anybody who tells you that they know how they're going to, it's going to happen is uh, either brilliant or telling a story. Uh, I don't know how, I don't know, I'm not smart enough to figure out what the ramifications of all this are, and that's kind of why I want to keep going. You know, I've been covering colleges, as you said, since the 80s, and, and when ESPN didn't renew my contract earlier this year, I had the opportunity to, to just sort of, you know, disappear, you know, and pick up some freelance pieces that I thought about writing a book, but I'm so intrigued by what the future holds that I wanted a front row seat. Uh, you know, I want to see what happens. We all, you know, we're all, uh, we all feel so uh, emotionally tied to this sport and these changes are going to be big. And uh, you know, I want to see how the sport comes through. Ivan Mazel, one of the great college football writers of our time, is our guest. All these changes are occurring. It's, it's interesting to me. One of the things that does interest me is uh, 
I would consider, you know, the glory days of college football for us, obviously the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. I look at those teams. They were made up of so many great players in all around college football, guys that were in college football for four and five years. And now we're going to try to put a monetary value on players that are going to stay at a university for either one year, maybe, or three years. But most, for most, it's going to be a revolving door. It is, and you know, to me, that's sort of the fascinating part about you know, take NIL. Well, your name, image, and likeness is only going to be valuable to a fan base if you're part of that fan base, and if you know, and if you transfer, how do you make that? You know, how do you make that connection to those fans? You know, so uh, I think that'll be interesting. I think the fact that it, you know, you have to stay. Uh, you cannot enter the NFL until three years out of being three years out of high school will help the sport sort of establish that, you know, we're never going to have one and done. The players just aren't physically capable of doing that. And the NFL union players union won't allow it. But the other thing I am fascinated by, I think one of the Joe is one of the lesser known or lesser trumpeted attributes of this fantastic Alabama team of last year is that they had a lot of fourth and fifth year guys. And it, and it's so unusual now uh, that, that we were all bedazzled by their talent and, and the distance between them and everyone else. But I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that this was a very experienced team. Mm-hmm. And somehow Nick Saban was able to convince those players to stick around and and benefit from sticking around. And if, you know, I'm wondering if maybe some players don't, you know, around the sport, don't figure that out. You know, it, it, it behooved those guys to it monetarily and financially in the long term to stick around an extra year. We'll see. Yeah, I've said for the longest time, and everybody always asks me, Ivan, what's wrong with the University of Miami? When will they be back? And I say, it's pretty tough when you can't hold your players. They can never keep their roster together and my evidence would be not only the university of miami i would point to texas usc florida lsu all the teams that were dynasties or building dynasties have not been able to keep their rosters together other than clemson alabama now you know ohio state perhaps they just they recruited such a high level they can absorb the attrition but attrition i think has really hurt the university of miami well, I think it's hurt a lot of schools, uh, you know, for the obvious reason of, you know, uh, of traditionally coaches are very adept at developing talent and developing an individual's talent. Uh, are they going to be afforded that, uh, you know, that opportunity to do that now? Certainly there are going to be less, fewer of those opportunities because kids uh, are going to leave, you know, when you're that. What's interesting to me about the whole thing, Joe, is we're giving more rights to these players, and and I'm not against them being having their own rights and, and being able to capitalize on that. I think that's great. But with rights come responsibilities. And, you know, are these kids at that age able to handle those responsibilities in a way that is best for them in the long run. And that's going to be the big question. 
no question about that. Comes comes with they're going to get more rights and almost not use them in some cases because the periscope always seems to be up. Ivan Mizell is our guest. We're within a hundred days of the college football season starting. Miami opens with Alabama in Atlanta, uh, so we got a long way to go. But as we go through the summer, what do you think will be some of the on-field stories that will be anticipated this year? Wow, that well, um, I think uh, you know obviously the, what we all look to in college football is is replacing the stars of the previous year, you know, uh, and and there's such uh, seminal players that left Alabama, that left Clemson. Uh, you know, Justin Fields leaving Ohio State. And, you know, those are the three, as you mentioned, those are the three schools. They'll all have new and not very experienced quarterbacks leading their offenses. Um, you know, that's going to be very interesting. Just the, and overall, just the sport trying to return as the rest of society is to some sense of normalcy. And, you know, how does that manifest itself? And, you know, what happens when, if there is a hiccup related to the virus and uh, so all that, you know, and that's kind of directly on the field. Uh, otherwise it's just, you know, can the PAC 12, you know, begin some sort of comeback to national relevancy? Uh, you know, can somebody uh, in the ACC mount a challenge to Clemson? You know, I, I think those are the those are getting to be annual questions, aren't they? Yeah, they sure are. Um, let me ask you this: for my uh, bringing this to Miami, a couple of topics in Miami. Uh, let's start with this one. We lost the great Howard Schnellenberger this year. Uh, two questions to you: one, what do you think his impact was on in, uh, was on in college football? And two, will he ever get into the College Football Hall of Fame? The only way, well, I think his impact on the sport was immense and unique. And he's a guy that does not fit the profile of what the Hall of Fame wants in its coaches. You know, and uh, because they are looking for career achievement, and, and Schnellenberger never stayed in one place long enough to sustain, sustain success to match that standard that the Hall of Fame wants. And the only way he's going to get in is if the Hall of Fame makes an exception to its rules. Uh, you know, and I, I I can't answer whether the Hall of Fame will do that. They, they instituted this rule as a way to prevent the people putting, you know, who are electing coaches and players into the Hall of Fame from just uh, – putting their buddies in because we saw that a few times uh and and schnellenberger's kind of gotten caught in that crossfire of you know this is the rules were put in for that reason and he doesn't match the rules he kind of reminds me of roger maris you know who everybody remembers as a great player who did something nobody else in in baseball had ever done at that time but he doesn't fit the rules for the hall of fame so he's not in it very good. Great comparison. Ivan Mazel is our guest talking college football. Miami has a couple of players up for the Hall of Fame. 
uh, Ken Dorsey, Brian McKinney, and Coach Larry Coker. If you had a vote, or uh, what do you think about those three uh, going into the Hall of Fame or getting a chance to go into the Hall of Fame? Uh, I would say McKinney will get in easily. I think Dorsey will eventually get in. Um, You know, quarterbacks get a lot of attention, and there are a lot of quarterbacks waiting to get into the Hall of Fame. I think Dorsey will get in. I I suspect McKinney will get in before him. Uh, Larry's an interesting case, and again, uh, you know, a great one-loss record at Miami, but it wasn't good enough for him to stay there and keep his job. You know, and, and how much of his success is going to be uh, ascribed to coaching Butch Davis's players? You know, he didn't sustain the success at Miami, so uh, that will be a uh, interesting debate. I, I don't. I would think of those three, he's the third guy on that list. I think our next group coming up for nomination is Warren Sapp and Jerome Brown. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and again, they obviously, if you're going to have a college football Hall of Fame that means anything, those guys should be in it. You know, but the the, the Hall of Fame, uh, the way it's structured, you know, a school can get only one player in every other year at most, and they try to get a class that represents each of the five uh, big conferences. They try to get a class that gets every position on the field. And and when you do that, uh, it, it's it's hard to get everybody in. You know, if you think about it, there's 25 players every year that earn qualification to get into the Hall of Fame. You have to have been a first-team All-American. And they only take 12 players a year. And then you multiply that by, you know, decades and decades of players there's a backlog and there's going to be a backlog for a very long time ivan we mentioned at the top you started covering the university of miami in 1987 which was a good year because they won the national championship they had uh some great teams very talented teams but from a media standpoint they had teams that were i think interesting to cover was one of those teams uh, did one of those teams jump out to you that was different from the other? Did you enjoy covering those teams? And if so, did you have a favorite between 87 and, I don't know, 2001? Well, you brought up Warren Sapp, and I, I just remember walking in uh, to the, that little SID office on campus, <laughs> you know, and, and Warren was sitting there, and he just his face broke open into a wide grin, and he said, "Ivan Mazel, I've seen you on ESPN." And uh, at that point, I didn't work for ESPN. I don't think I, yeah, I just done some stuff uh, for them regionally, you know, uh, on camera. And I thought, you know, you got to have a lot of personality to just, you know, at that age to just greet somebody interviewing like that. And and I was. Uh, uh, but there were some big personalities on those teams, and I think it was part of the success that, that Jimmy and, and Dennis both uh, were able to create as they let those kids be who they were. We had some great college football days, even though it was a loss. The 88 game at Notre Dame was a tremendous, oh, yeah. tremendous day. And then, of course, uh, the wide right against Bobby Bowden in Tallahassee. Yeah. 
What I remember about that one was Wayne Hogan walked into our booth and said, fellas, it's number one against number two, and the Gators are playing Kentucky today. (laughs) (laughs) I was at both those games, covered both of them. Uh, And, you know, just uh, the 31-30 game has been such great. You know, the documentary on the, you know, Catholics versus Convicts documentary on ESPN was so good. It brought back so many memories. Uh, you know that, of course, the same day as Kirk Gibson's home run in the World Series, one of the great days in American sports. And and uh, what I remember most about Wide Right One is is Bobby Bowden's uh, breakfast with Bobby the next morning, yeah. and he just sort of stream of consciousness uh, bemoaned what happened, and he said. He finally said, you know, on my tombstone, it's going to say, but he played Miami. And I thought, oh, my God, that's so good. Yeah, it was uh, I, I definitely miss uh, miss that rivalry and, and miss those days. You know, the one other thing about those uh, Miami teams, uh, people, we like to say Miami's had a love-hate relationship with college football. People love them or they hate them. But I think privately – you were part of the national media. I think the national media loved Miami just because of all the storytelling. Oh yeah, no, it was uh, it was it was just never dull, and you know, and you give us something to write about, and and we're happy, and uh, we want to tell stories, and we want you to talk to us, and Miami checked all those boxes and did so for. 15 years, as you said, and really more than 15 years, closer to 20. And uh, no, I have great memories of, of coming down there, you know, two, three times a season for many years. Love to do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you and me both. Uh, I would say that uh, uh, a lot of people probably looked at Miami and said, man, that little school in Coral Gables can do it. We have a lot more resources. We should be able to figure it out. And I think other teams such as Alabama figured it out. Well, they really did, and Alabama is a, a great example of finding the right guy at the right time in his career. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard to do. It's just hard to do. You know, uh, Sam Jankovich taking a chance on Jimmy Johnson and then and then pivoting to a known, you know, a known commodity in Dennis Erickson. You know, he, he picked a guy he just met, and then he picked a guy, you know, he had known. And, uh, who's to say, you know, why did it make sense to Sam to pick those two guys at those times? But it did. You know, and, and then you get another case where it's just it doesn't, for whatever reason, it, it it's not the right fit. Or a guy like Pete Carroll, who was USC's fourth choice, you know, and, and turned out to be the perfect guy. It's it's a crazy, crazy business to to – figure that out and it, it you know like the nfl draft it it sort of defies metrics you know it's just uh you know it's gut feel and and knowing people and knowing your school and knowing your fan base and and you roll the dice and good luck ivan mazel from the dallas morning news to espn to on3.com uh great for college football on3.com coming in october so we will look for all of you August, uh, coming in August, even better. So then we'll hopefully we'll see you in Atlanta. 
Yeah, I uh, would love to. I'd love to be there. Yeah, for, Hope for, so. For Miami and Alabama. Okay, I've, Ivan, always great to, to catch up with you. Thanks for taking time to join us here on our show. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Joe.